Well, I don't know about you all, but I seem to get what I have come to term as a little bit of a Christmas hangover. Does anybody else kind of crash after Christmas? Right? You, you go through the busyness of presents and wrapping and travel planning and every decorating, every thing, all the things you do for Christmas, and then it comes, and then it's like, ooh, this letdown, right? And there's sort of this lull, and I have found that I really don't have to be in the office very much between Christmas and New Year's because people are sort of churched out. <laughs> like, not a lot of people call in the church this week. It's just not how that sort of typically goes. I know for me, this last week, all I wanted to do was sleep and eat, and I did both of them a lot. Um, yeah, there's sort of a, a letdown, isn't there? I got a couple symbols around the church that I see, the sort of after effects of Christmas. Um, one is candle wax. You may have come into the church today and noticed some white on the floor in the back or on your pew. It seems like every year after Christmas Eve, we get wax like everywhere at the church. I don't understand how these people do this. Okay, I don't spill wax up here, but, but for some reason out there, there is like a ton of wax. We're going to have to do a bunch of vacuuming, and then we're going to have to get a hair dryer and sort of melt the wax and clean it up. It's like a whole thing recovering from Christmas Eve and all the wax that's in here. And it, it doesn't seem to me like since we added electric candles, it's gotten any better. Okay, it feels like there's still wax like everywhere. Okay, I, so, so there's wax. The other thing about this church, and I don't know if you know this, but I have clued the staff here into this. Okay, we play a game around here called pine needles. Okay, and so uh, Patty and Sherry and I, we play this game where uh, we, tr we try to watch for pine needles because by the time there's all these wreaths and garland and trees, there are pine needles everywhere in this church. And so what we try to do is see who can find pine needles the later in the year from the previous Christmas. Okay? In 2022, I found pine needles in October. And this year, it was November. I found at the beginning of November pine needles from last year. That's how much pine needles just sort of stick and fit into corners and under chairs and pews and pine needles everywhere. The other one I feel more at home. And that is wrapping paper. How many of you have this experience? Okay, the kids or grandkids rip wrapping paper everywhere. And normally in a house, one of the parents is the wrapping paper czar. You know what I'm talking about? They're there with the garbage can and the whole time, all the packaging, all the wrapping paper. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how on top of it the czar is. There's going to be wrapping paper somewhere in four weeks. I know it. We're going to move the couch, we're going to move a cushion, or something's going to happen, and there it is, wrapping paper or a twisty tie from a Barbie's hair, or something is going to be there in like weeks. It's kind of like hangs on, doesn't it? I want to tell you a truth about life, that there are highs and there are lows. There are powerful mountaintop experiences, and there are valleys of deep sadness and pain. And one of the facts of life is, that the highs and lows don't last. Seasons come, seasons go. I was thinking about this this time of year. Christmas is coming to an end. Uh, 
but and a new year is beginning. It is a sort of time of transition. And, and it, it's always, we seem like we're always in sort of a time of transition. And isn't it true that it's really fun to decorate the tree, but it's kind of a pain to put it away? Like it's never as much fun to undecorate a tree. And in my house, we got a new tree. And here's what I know. It is not going to fit in the box it came in. I do not understand how they package trees into a box this big. It's going to be four bins of Christmas tree. I'm going to have to go get bins when we take this thing down. The joy of setting up the tree is a chore when you put it away. Right? And in life, there's change. There just is. And change is hard enough. It's hard enough when it's really fast and unexpected. When there's a pandemic or when you suddenly get a, a, a something taken away from you. But some of the problem in life is just the transition. The move from one normal to the next. The Christmas ends and then a new normal has to begin. Right? And we move into a new house and it's exciting, but it's not really home for a little while, is it? Okay, we get a new job and we're in that job for a little while until it's the new normal. And even good things, there's this transition period, right? In life, we're constantly changing gears. We're downshifting. We're getting excited about this. We're getting sad about that. We're getting up for this. We're getting down for that. And what I find is that we are not very good at transitions. We're not very good at shifting gears. We either wish Christmas would just keep going forever. How many of you are like that? Like you just wish Christmas could just keep going. How many of you, the day after Christmas, you're like, let's get this stuff out of my house, right? <laughs> Like sometimes we want to hang on to the good. Sometimes we want to move away from whatever it is onto the next thing. Some of that's personality. Some of that's how you were raised. But, but the, the key is we're, we're all not great at shifting gears. Okay. Uh, I remember when, my, when, I, when I started dating and then married my wife, she had a manual car. And I had never driven one. And I learned, but it was ugly for a while, right? You're making all these sounds you didn't know cars could make because you didn't hit the clutch enough, right? That's how we are a lot in life. We, met, we miss the transitions. I think actually the church had it right when they had Advent, then 12 days of Christmas, then Epiphany, and then you're back to normal time. Church kind of understood how to spread this out, but we don't understand how to spread this out. At Walmart, the Christmas stuff is all down, Valentine's Day stuff is up. And it was like that about four days ago. Okay? We are not good at transitions. And, and, and I've been thinking about this in, in light of the Christmas story. And one of the things I found, I'd never noticed this before, but throughout the Christmas story, there is a lot of transitions that are noted. Almost everything amazing that happens in the Christmas story goes back to normal in the text. So let me, we're going to walk through this today. Remember Zechariah and Elizabeth. Okay, they were too old to get pregnant, and yet Zechariah is in the temple and he sees an angel, and the angel says that his wife is going to get pregnant. He doesn't believe the angel. He's struck deaf and mute for the duration of the pregnancy. They do finally have a baby. They named the baby John. You know him as John the Baptist, but they didn't know that at the time. Okay, he was just John. And there's a miraculous story, but then it just the text just says, Luke 180. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. So the text says he grew. 
and became strong in the spirit. Grew means he was little and he slowly became big. So this miraculous pregnancy, woohoo, we're pregnant, became stay up late, change diapers, okay, became like, you know, everything that a normal parenting would go, except John learned how to walk and talk and he lived in the wilderness then. But he grew in the spirit too. It says he learned his prayers. He listened to God and how to respond to God. After the birth of Jesus, we're told that these shepherds are out watching their flocks and goats, their, their sheep and goats, their flocks by night. An angel came and told them about the birth of Jesus. And then we read this in Luke 2. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem. Did you catch that little piece in the middle we often don't think about? The angels went away to heaven. Like, what a cool job for an angel. We're going to go praise God in a field at the birth of a baby. You know, it's going to be all exciting. People are going to be singing songs about this for thousands of years. And then they go home. Then they go home. They went away to heaven. So the shepherds, they go. They see the child. They have this conversation about what had happened. Um, we had a conversation. I had a conversation with somebody here at church. What did they do with their sheep when they left? Did they just leave the sheep? Did they bring all the sheep? Was there one poor shepherd didn't get to go see the baby? Whatever they did, they go and they see that baby. They tell everybody about it. Mary treasures up all these things in her heart. And here's how the text goes. Luke 2, 18. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering in their, them in their hearts. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it was told to them. So after this miraculous stuff, all this amazing thing that happened, the shepherds have to return to their flocks. Okay, they must have told that story a thousand times, but I bet nothing like that ever happened again. They probably never heard an angel. They probably never, uh, I mean, after worshiping at, at Jesus' feet, getting this message from angels, then they go about raising their flocks. What about the wise men? They journey to Jerusalem to see the baby that was born king of the Jews. He's not there. He's in Bethlehem. So they go down, uh, and it says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They opened their gifts, of their treasures. They offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed their, to their own country by another way. So here we go again. They're warned in a dream. By the way, in, in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, when you're warned in a dream, that's an angel. The wise, so the, the magi, the wise men get this message from an angel. Hey, go home by a different way. And it just says they return to their country. We never hear from them again. They just go home and do whatever magi do, right? They just keep looking at the stars and telling the stories. Maybe they're fugitives from Herod at this point. We don't know. But they have to go home. You can't stay and worship the baby forever. The journey has to end. You've got to go home. Even for Mary and Joseph and Jesus, they have to go back to a normal life. After he was born, we're told in Luke 2, 21, and at the end of eight days, he was circumcised. He was called Jesus, 
the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So they go and get the baby circumcised. That's what you did at eight days. Normal baby practice. Then after the wise men leave, Joseph is told to take the child to Egypt to protect him from Herod's murderous jealousy. Then when it's time to come back to Israel, we read in Matthew 2, And when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken about the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So after all that, after fleeing to Egypt, what do they have to do? Go home. The Gospel of Luke doesn't write about this trip to Egypt, but instead shows Jesus being dedicated at the temple after a certain number of days. And then we read this. And when he had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. We get a similar description in the next story in the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus is 12 years old. He's teaching at the temple. And then Luke 2.52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So the text tells us that Mary and Joseph took Jesus to Nazareth and he, they raised him. Jesus grew. He became strong. He became full of wisdom. He increased in stature. Everybody, to grow implies you start small and you end up big. <laughs> right? To grow in stature means he's real small. He goes tall. To grow in wisdom means he didn't have a lot of wisdom. He was a baby and then he grew up. See, the Savior of the world is crying. And he had cried all night. And he was a normal baby. And he dirtied his diapers. And he had to learn how to walk. And he fell and hit his head. And he had to learn how to talk. We know that Jesus, we say he was without sin. But we also say he was fully human. So I don't know how you imagine Jesus as a baby. I know a lot of people think, oh, he's this perfect baby. He's silent night every night. They, they got all this sleep. No, Jesus was a baby. The text tells us he had to grow. He had to learn. He had to do all the human things. That's not sin to have to learn. He had to learn and grow. And so this miraculous baby that we still sing songs about, eventually Joseph and Mary got to go home. And they got to feed that baby. They got to teach it to walk. And it's got to grow. And it's got to learn. And it's got... So... so even Mary and Joseph, this miraculous story that Mary has to ponder in her heart all these things that are going on, turns into normal, everyday raising of a child. A very special child, but a child with dirty diapers and needing food and needing to be taken care of. Part of the story of the Bible is this very real... This is one of the reasons why I love the Bible, is that when I read the Bible... I, it, if you read it with fresh eyes, it's a very real book. This is how life is, right? It's wonderful to have a baby. And then a month later, you see parents, and they're like walking around like zombies, right? Because <laughs> they're trying to figure out what they're doing with this baby. There's a real life on the other side of the Christmas story. 
And how often we wish we could push past. We could either stay in the glow of Christmas or just move on to the next thing. We're really bad at changing gears. But look at this. Every part of the Christmas story, every single part of it, shows you a gear change. Angels go back. Shepherds go back. Hey, wise men go back. Mary and Joseph go home. We're always transitioning. And it's very difficult for us to do. We often wish the past would last. We often wish the future, we could rush ahead towards it. How hard it is for us to figure out how to shift gears. You probably have felt, how many of you felt this when you go on vacation? How often is it hard to go on vacation? You got to like turn work off. Like for the first two or three days of vacation, I'm not really vacationing. I'm just unworking. But then when I get back from vacation, it takes me two or three days to switch back into work gear, right? Like it's hard to transition. Here's what I found, that we fumble about with our transitions. We rush them or we fight them. And I'm amazed how much of our lives are actually in the transition. And if we would actually get good at transition, if we actually get good at shifting gears, life seems to get a lot smoother. Instead of fighting the shifting, we got to realize, oh, I can't do what I used to do. Oh, I got to do this now. Oh, my life is in this place, and so this is where I'm at. I'm in this moment, and so this is what the moment requires of me. And instead, we, we, we fumble with the transitions. But if you listen, what I think you'll often find is that God is in the transitions. He's coaching you. Okay, He's teaching you. He's preparing you for the next stage. And I think about this all the time when it's New Year's. Okay, for me, I don't do a lot of New Year's uh, um, resolutions, but I always do sort of a New Year's assessment. What was last year like? What is this year going to be? Okay, today, I don't know if you know this, but today is a fun day. It's a count day. Today is one, two, three, one, two, three. Did you know this? 12, 31, 23, 1, 2, 3, 1, 2, 3. Tomorrow it's 24. Tomorrow it's a new year. Speaking of transitions, I will write 23 on so many things for the first month of the year because it takes me a while to get used to it. Oh, it's a 24 this time. Right? But it's a good time to transition. And here's what I think. I think a lot of times who you are as a person was enough to get you here. But the way God calls us and the way God works in our lives, I don't know that who you are is enough for what God has for you in 2024. Like I often think, I'm going to have to rise to this next year. i got to actually think through, who do I need to be to rise to whatever God's calling me in the next year? And so we've got to be constantly improving. So here's what I would challenge you to do this week. Sit down in this new 2024 And make a list of what are the transitions I'm going through in my life. Christmas is ending. A new year is beginning. But what are the other transitions that you're going through in your life right now? What's changing? What are you shifting to? What are the new things that you're passionate about? What are the old things you're trying to give up? Just make a list of all the transitions you're feeling in your life. And then go through and say, well, how am I doing at all these? How am I doing at transitioning to the new normal? 
Or am I not transitioning well? Am I rushing it? Am I not taking the time I need to mourn the change that I'm going through? Like, like do some assessment of it. And sometimes I think it's good to look back at the transitions of last year and say, okay, this one went well, this one didn't go as well. And in the middle of that, I think there's a God piece, right? What is God calling you to in this new year? Who does God need you to be? Who is God rising you to be? Who is God making you to be? How is God forming you so that in this next year, you're the person that he can use for the plans he has in the future for you? What does God want to do with you this year? And here's a great way to do it. My dad was in the Army Reserves, and they talk about be, know, and do. Who do I need to be? Okay, that I'm not right now. What do I need to know? that I don't currently know, and what do I need to be doing? What are some of the habits I need to make that I'm not currently doing to move into this future? And so sometime this week, I'm going to lay out my calendar. I do this every year. I lay out my calendar. I think through a lot of these things. What are my transitions? Where are we as a church? Where is my family at? Because I know this is a valuable moment of transition into a new year. And, and I think Christmas models this. Zachariah and Elizabeth go home and raise John. Angels return to heaven. Shepherds go back to flocks. Wise men return to their country. And Mary and Jesus go to Nazareth and raise this little boy, wondering what he's going to be like. As we transition out of the holiday season and as we transition into 2024, what does God have in store for you and for me? And what of the Christmas spirit, what of the Christmas message do you need to bring into that future? May God show us and guide us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.